so-and-so. I know that's what I did in the early days when I was trying to read my Bible. The Old Testament points to the New Testament. The Old Testament is important. It's filled with important things that are our example things for us to learn from and many, many prophecies that point toward what, was, what God's plan was, which is then recorded in the New Testament after the birth of Christ. So the Old Testament is the part of the Bible that was written before Jesus was born, and its writings were actually completed about 450 years before the birth of Christ. So all these things were recorded in there, and they're extremely important, but the Old Testament was completed about 450 years before the birth of Christ, so it was written hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. And it actually contains over 300 distinct prophecies or foretelling God anointing a man or a woman of God, a prophet to foretell and to speak for God and to give a message about what he wanted them to know about future events. So there's over 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled through his birth and through his life, death, and resurrection. 300 prophecies. Oops, I went the wrong way. Okay. See if I can get this to do the right thing here. Nope. There we go. So over 300 prophecies were completely fulfilled through Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Now, a mathematician, several mathematicians, have tried to calculate this out. So I am not good at math, but let's see what we can figure out here. One person fulfilling eight prophecies. So let's start here on the right. Hundred, thousand, what comes after thousand? Million, billion, trillion. Do you know what the next one is? Quadrillion. So one person fulfilling eight prophecies, the likelihood of that happening is one in 100 quadrillion. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? Eight prophecies. One person fulfilling 48 prophecies, the chances are one in 10 to the 157th power that that would ever be possible. Now, let's see if I can do this right. I'm really trying, guys. One person fulfilling 300 plus prophecies, only Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Every single prophecy was fulfilled accurately and completely. Over 300 prophecies. Now, only God could foreknow those things and prophesy those things, and only God could accomplish the events to be perfectly fulfilled through the life of Jesus Christ. The historical accuracy and reliability of the Bible sets it apart from any other book or record that has ever been written. Do you know that? I mean, there have been archaeological digs, and they've found things that support everything in the Bible, but this book is accurate, it's historically accurate, and it is reliable. Now, I want to look in spe specifically at a prophecy in Isaiah. We talked about this prophecy last week, but we're just going to look at one of the Old Testament prophecies and the fulfillment of it. And I'm going to look in Isaiah chapter 7. So this is one out of over 300 that we're going to examine this morning. And it speaks specifically about a sign that God was going to give, to that he was giving to his people so that they would know and recognize when the Messiah was born. And it's seven, Isaiah 7 verse 14. And the prophet Isaiah, speaking for God under God's anointing, said, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son 
and we'll call him Emmanuel. Does anybody know what the word Emmanuel means? God with us. So here the prophet Isaiah is saying, there is a time coming when a virgin is going to be with child, a holy child. We heard the scriptures that the young people read for us this morning. And she's going to give birth to a son, and she will call him Emmanuel, God with us. So they were getting this sign from God. It was pointing toward the time when Jesus was going to be birthed and arrive in the earth, and it was going to be a child born, a young child born, but it was going to be God with us, God dwelling in human flesh. Of course, the fulfillment of that is found in Luke chapter 1, where we heard from our, from our young people earlier that Mary was visited by an angel, and the angel told her that she was going to become pregnant. And she wondered how this could possibly be because she was a virgin. This is an impossibility, but with God all things are possible, right? So the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, and the Holy Father imparted in her a child, the, the, the embryo, just like a human being born you know, from the very smallest cell and began to develop in Mary's womb, being nourished in her womb. But the father of this one, the father of this babe, was none other than God himself. And the child that was within Mary's womb was holy, and it was the Son of God. And so that is an incredible thing. And when we think about it, I, I think we just have to always never lose the wonder of Christmas, never lose the wonder of the miracle of Christmas. So at Christmas, we celebrate the fulfillment of God's promise, Emmanuel, God with us. And as Matthew just sang, God is here. He is here by the power of his Holy Spirit. Jesus came to dwell among men and to bring us the good news of Christ, to represent God the Father fully and show us what God the Father is like. And he is here in his people, dwelling in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. So he is here for those who have given their life to Jesus Christ, he is God with you, in you, in you. Now, we just read the account of Christ's birth, but there were those who witnessed the angel's song, like the shepherds. The shepherds heard the angel's song, and there were those who saw the star, like the wise men. And there were those who heard the voice of God, like Simeon and Anna, the prophet and prophetess in the temple, when they saw Jesus as a babe, when his parents were coming to dedicate him. And they all said, surely this babe can be no other than the Son of God. They recognized who he was, and they were in awe of the fact that they had the opportunity to worship, to go to find him. The wise men found him. They followed the star, and they came, and they worshiped him. The shepherds came, and they worshiped him. Simeon and Anna, when they were in the presence of this holy child, worshiped God and praised God, and they knew that this babe could be no other than the Son of God. But you know what? Many actually missed the coming of Jesus. There were people in that day that looked at this babe lying in the manger in the poorest and most humble of circumstances, surrounded by poverty and lack, and they thought, surely this cannot be the Son of God. This cannot be the babe sent from heaven. So there were those that received him and believed and worshipped, and there were those that said this cannot be the Son of God, and they denied the reality of him. And you know, there's still many today that miss his coming. 
Jesus said in Isaiah 53, 6, We all like sheep have gone astray, and each one of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity or the sins of us all. Because Jesus came as a baby in the manger. But really, when we think about it, that manger had the shadow of the cross upon it. Because Jesus came to live for 33 years on this earth and to represent God to the world, to come as God's messenger, as the one who was sent to bring peace to mankind through his sacrifice on the cross. But he also came not just to live, but he came to die, to give his life for each and every one of us. So when we look at the manger, we have to remember that the shadow of the cross was a part of that manger scene. And he came to reveal to all of us the answer to the question whether God loves us or not. If you've ever wondered that, if you've ever wondered, does God love me? Does God know about me? Does he care about me? Am I significant? Am I valuable to him? Does he even know I exist? I assure you that he knows about you. He knows that you exist. He knows your name. He loves you. And the answer to that question, whether he loves you or not, was recorded when Jesus came to the earth and when Jesus went to the cross. And in 1 John 4, verses 9 through 10, the beloved apostle John, the one who sat at Jesus' side and laid his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper, wrote this. He said, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that he might live through him that God himself might live through his son. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I want you to understand that love knows your name. Love has a name, and the name of love is God Almighty and Jesus Christ, and he knows your name. He knows who you are. He has not abandoned us. He, is, he has has a love that still loves you even though he knows that you have failed, that you have made mistakes, that you have regrets. His love is a love that does not abandon his children or his creation. He sought us out and he made a way through his son Jesus Christ, that gift that was given. Love knows your name and the gift that was given has your name on it. There is a love that has your name on it. God's love is a love that our soul longs for. Whether you realize that or not, your soul is longing to experience God's love. Your soul is longing to experience forgiveness for your mistakes and your shortcomings, for those things that you're ashamed of, for the things that you wish you could change, for the regrets that you have. Your soul is longing to be at peace with God Almighty, and peace comes through the babe in the manger, through the one who went to the cross. God's love is different than the kind of love that you're going to find in this world. It's not an unconditional love. It's not a selfish love like the love that we find in our culture. God's love is pure. It's holy. It's true. It's without any kind of blemish. God's love is completely pure. And when our souls long for God and for that closer relationship with him, we are really longing for his presence. Not the presence under the tree, but we're longing for his presence. Whether you understand it or not, your soul longs for God. 
because you were created in God's image and your soul will never find rest until it finds its place of rest in relationship with God Almighty in his presence. That's the only time you will find rest. And you will search as I did. You will try other things. You will look. You will try all sorts of things. And when you finally reach the end of yourself, or as I did when you hit bottom and there's no place to look but up, that's when you will find the true rest for your soul. When you cry out to Jesus Christ as a Savior, not as a babe, but as the one who went to the cross to be the one who sacrificed his life for you and the gift has your name on it because love knows your name. So this Christmas season, as we think about the true meaning of Christmas, I think we all need to ask ourselves an honest question. Who am I placing my hope in? Are you placing your hope in yourself like I was? Are you placing your hope in your own abilities to manipulate life and to sort it out and try to, you know, scramble your way through life? Are you placing your hope in that? Are you placing your hope in your education, in your job, in your money, in your finances, in your possessions? Are you placing your hope in a person? Are you placing your hope in the next person in a serial relationship? Who are you placing your hope in? What is your security? What is your foundation? Where is your soul finding rest? These are the questions we need to ask. Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts trouble, be troubled, and do not be afraid. And I want to promise you that where the Prince of Peace goes, the prophet Isaiah called him the Prince of Peace, where the Prince of Peace goes, his peace comes. When you invite the Prince of Peace into your life, into your heart, when you give your life to him, when you come to the end of yourself as I did, and I cried out to God and I thought, how can he even want me? I have messed up my life big time. I remember that. I tried several times as I sat in a rocking chair in my little one's bedroom, and I just knew I needed God, but I felt so unworthy of his love. We are unworthy of his love, but his love is a selfless love. His love reaches out to us. His love makes the way. He's the way maker. And when I came to the point where I finally said, God, I need you. I don't know why you would want me because I have failed miserably. And I began to recognize my real state, not the things I could cover up, not the things that I could make look good, not the masks that I could manage to wear to make it look like everything was all right, but I began to realize that I was empty inside, that I did not have rest, that I did not have peace, and I truly did not have hope. And when I prayed the prayer and gave my life to Jesus Christ and asked him to forgive me for my sins, yes, I finally admitted that I was a sinner. Up until that time, I had justified my condition and said, I'm not so bad. Have you ever done that? I'm not so bad. I haven't murdered anyone. I'm not so bad. I don't do the things that some people do, but I was broken I was walking in darkness. I didn't have any light in my life. I didn't have any hope. And I was just, just drifting through life, trying to get ahead, trying to make my way, trying to find an answer to life. And that day, I found my answer. And my answer was Jesus Christ. And I can still remember when I gave him my life, when I said, please forgive me. 
please forgive me. I need you, Jesus. I need a Savior. I can still remember how it felt. And literally it was like light broke forth into my heart, into my soul, and even into my mind. And all of a sudden I felt like there was hope. It felt like a light bulb went on in my life. Literally, it felt like a thousand pounds was lifted off of my shoulder. The weight of all the darkness, of all my mistakes, of all the shame, of all the things that I wished I would have done differently. God lifted those off. He forgave me. And I received the gift of salvation with my name on it. And I began to experience the peace that passes all understanding because the Prince of Peace came in and took up residence in my heart. And he became an anchor for me in the storms of life. Peace is a person. Love is a person. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He has come to make peace between God and mankind. And every single one of us has the choice whether we will recognize whether that babe in the manger is truly the Son of God or not. And so I ask you this morning the most important question that you could ever answer in all of your existence. Do you know him? Have you come to the place where you've given him your life? Have you surrendered to him? Have you welcomed his love in? Have you welcomed the Prince of Peace to come in to take up residence in your life and to be an anchor for your soul? Could we close our eyes? Lori and Jim, could you come? This is the most important gift that you could ever receive. And so as your eyes are closed, I am asking if there's anyone here in this room who needs to make things right between you and God to receive the gift, put your hand up. I see your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? You, I see those hands. I see one, two, three, four, five, many hands going up. I'm going to ask all of you to stand to your feet, and we are going to pray together because maybe you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, or maybe you know that you need to make things right between you and God and come back to the cross.